what this does is create right off the get-go an inability to create full hip extension through takeoff. And number two, limits the height in which they can travel. So what they do is they end up jumping to their landing versus jumping and landing as a result of, of gravity pulling them down. And I think that when we drill these box jumps over and over and over again with that in mind, if they're staring at the box, what we're doing is we're drilling an athlete to be very used to limiting the, the expressiveness of, of hip extension. You are now listening to the penultimate podcast with the jump guy, Tyler Ray, powered by Project Pure Athlete. Jump higher, train smarter. I want to welcome everybody to the first episode of the penultimate podcast. I am your host, the jump guy, Tyler Ray of Project Pure Athlete. And for the first episode, I wanted to do something um, special, obviously. So what I've done is I've taken a clip from a recent talk I did with Jason McCullough of Metal Sports Training. They're located um, out of the Toronto region in Ontario, Canada, and work with uh, many of the Ontario Volleyball Association's top athletes, as well as at a developmental level as well. So I've been in some talks with Metal um, as of recently, and when Jason asked me to have a talk with him about volleyball strength and conditioning and jump training and jump technique, I jumped, all puns intended, at the opportunity to sit down and have a talk with him. So this first episode is a segment where I talk in detail about the Project Pure Athlete principles of vertical jump technique, specifically as it relates to two-foot jumping in volleyball, but there's so much crossover and so much correlation to any other application of jumping. So fans of jumping, I thought no better way to start the first episode than diving deep into the world of vertical jump technique. So let's sit back and take a listen. You guys make sure you follow here at the Penultimate Podcast, and I'll do my best to release episodes as quickly as possible, featuring some of the world's top minds in vertical jump training and the athletes involved as well. So here we go with episode one of the Penultimate Podcast. You, you talked about those principles. I hadn't heard about them before. So sure, sure. Why don't we go there? It sounds intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, um, you know, the, the most common thing I see, you know, athletes walk through the door and they've heard about me or seen some content and they come in and they want jump training. They want to jump higher. And I think every athlete, no matter what sport you're in, I think that becomes such a, a hot topic, right? Because it's, it's, in my opinion, one of the, if not the most um true expression of overall athleticism is how does I get, how do I get a human body off of the earth as high as possible, mm -hmm. as many times as possible in any given period of time. So for me, it was vertical jumping has been looked at for so long as, okay, how do I apply as much force as possible to the ground? Then how do I spend as little time on the ground as possible? And how do I mitigate some of the effects of how much I weigh and my composition? And for so long, it's been looked at like vertical jumping. As long as you have those three points covered, all good. You're going to jump higher and you absolutely will. I don't yeah. want anybody to think that out of the gate that that won't work. It absolutely will. But I believe, and this is my school of thought, and this is, I think, what separates me a little bit is that we put so much stock into so many elements of, of fitness and sport in terms of practicing a skill. Okay. So I'm going to correlate this a little bit over to the world of weightlifting and weightlifting has become a little bit more prevalent with the world of CrossFit and things like that. But weightlifting forever and for history has been a hugely power influenced sport that requires an immense amount of control through a variety of positions, whether you are clean and jerking, whether you are snatching, 
what becomes extremely important is how do I continue to apply force, but then have positional stability throughout the entire chain of movement. So I said, okay, we do this with weightlifting and people put so much focus into understanding principles of technique as it applied to a clean and jerk and to a snatch. But why is it that jumping is only seen as just push as hard as you can and then jump? <laughs> and that's just the result, right? So I'm a, I've always been a little bit of a uh, technician when it comes to my own training and watching other athletes. And I think in the early years, people were a little bit, they didn't know what to think. And I would get an athlete and I say, okay, stop for a second. Let's go back, do it again stop for a second, let's go back, do it again. And I would sit there and I would ponder and I would have this old video on old little flip camera things that looked like I was filming it off of a potato. It looked, you couldn't see it. But what I would do is I would sit there and study and study and study as much film as possible and see commonalities in position in reference to a lot of work that had already been done. But there wasn't a lot done in terms of mechanics appropriate to creating a higher ceiling for specifically two foot leapers. And volleyball is a unique setting in that it's a repeatable jump in a lot of instances, right? We have a very similar approach, no matter where you are on the court, pending some shifting scenario within a game. Mm -hmm. So I said, okay, I need to come up with some fundamental principles that will only ever, and this is something to, to, to note here, the, these principles will only ever vary by need and never by kind. And what that means to me is the principles remain the same, but the application of them becomes different depending on the sport or the scenario you're applying them to. Mm -hmm. So first principle of the PPA principles of jump technique is landing mechanics. And I talked a little bit about having to reverse engineer this and make it in a way that is a little bit more palatable. So talk a little bit about practice like anything else. With landing, it's practice. Perfect practice yields favorable, favorable landings. And how does that look? Well, a landing, really, when it's done to its primary function is it's a squat pattern. It is absorbing impact through large mechanics, which is our hips, and then also integrating some breathing and bracing techniques to help create additional what's called intra-abdominal stability. And I'm sure you're very aware of that as your coaches are as well. But understanding that sometimes without even knowing it, our breathing mechanics can influence, first of all, takeoff height, and then also landing efficiency over time. Okay, so landing, I'm going to do a little bit of a brief synopsis because I could talk sure. about this. We'd be here for two days and, you'd, and we'd have to <laughs> cut the live feed eventually. But um, first and foremost being landing mechanics. It is important yeah. to understand that the more you practice this, so this means that no matter, and quick tangent is when I train my athletes is obviously we go through the strength conditioning components similar to, to that of which um, metal would provide. But what I do is I like to work technique into a lot of these workouts in different um, physiological states because we're not always jumping fresh most most importantly we're likely mostly jumping out of breath or a little bit uh, fatigued so that athlete needs to learn how to under, or understand how to stabilize their body in these different physiological states so we constantly and i drill this and i say we need to land with perfect mechanics and then the common response is you can't do that in a game right and i'm sure you've seen that is it's very difficult to hit these perfect landing sequences in a game. The point being is that if we practice landing mechanics more frequently, then the likelihood of our body deviates and actually creates this landing as it's more um, neutral position, meaning that it's just, it's going to recognize this as being biomechanically relevant because it's been done so many times that it will yeah. default to that more often. And that's the goal is not land perfectly every time is yeah. can we default 
to a point of landing that is more advantageous for our joints and our body over our course of our career. Yeah, so agreed. That, I think, uh, Stu McGill, and I'm sure many others refer to that as kind of an engram in your mind, right? Yeah. So you, you create this, it's, it's a neuroplasticity kind of piece where uh, every time you do something poorly, it kind of corrupts that engram. So, so the more often you can do it um, perfectly, the more likely, as you said, your body is to to try to find that position as often as possible. So, so I absolutely, that. yeah, that's great. So then we take another step back, and and following the landing, obviously we have to take off first before we land. So there's a lot of things that happen on takeoff, and more importantly, there's a lot of things that lead us to that position at takeoff that can really influence the effectiveness of that takeoff. So I speak a little bit about the concept of ground contact time, and then reactive strength indexes, things like that that I'm sure you're familiar with. To give kind of a, a general synopsis is how do we get the athlete to apply as much force in as little time as possible to optimize not only the power at takeoff, but also the horizontal speed created through their approach. Okay. Mm -hmm. That then works itself into a little bit of the takeoff angle requirements for any given jump. So when I do an analysis on an athlete, what I'm looking at is, are they optimizing what's called their maximum controlled velocity? This really just refers to the balance at which an athlete can approach with speed whereby that speed then becomes too much where their body can't stabilize and vice versa is, are they not optimizing the amount of speed they can carry relative to their stabilization um, uh, potential at that point? Mm -hmm. So then I, what I'll have athletes do is basically just vary the speed at which they approach. And then it becomes a lot of um, eye and rhythm training. So this is the one thing that is difficult to explain is that I view jumping very differently from the average person and coach is that because I've not only been involved in this my entire life as a, as a coach is that we're not my entire life, but the mass majority of my adult life as a coach, but I competed um, as an athlete for many, many years. So I was a track and field athlete for years in the, the multi-event scene. So pentathlete for the University of Windsor, competed for Team Ontario. I had a chance to to play around with some national competitions. And then I got into the world of professional dunking. So I actually traveled the world as a six foot guy who jumped very high as a result of, of training. And I think that it was a lot of trial and error over time. And then it was like, how do I get, how do I put this all on paper to find out how exactly I did this? Because when I entered the world of, of professional dunking, I had a, a decent vertical jump of around 38 or 39 inches from my approach, which is, you know, in the world of jumping is, is fairly impressive. You know, flirting with that 40 inch barrier is when you're starting to kind of separate yourself from other athletes. So it was, how do I optimize that? I trained for a good year and a half, two years implementing different strategy, strategies of chain, uh, training, uh, pardon me. And what I found was within about a year, I managed to increase my vertical jump to near 50 inches. And I didn't really know what I had at that point. I remember walking out on the, on the court at the University of Windsor and the men's basketball team was um, finishing their practice and they were dunking some basketballs. And I had a fascination with dunking and I wasn't very good at it, but I called for the ball and, and they kind of looked at me and gave me weird eyes. And I said, let me just try. So I throw a, a lob, which is a bounce, and you try to catch this ball off a lob. I missed the ball completely. Okay, I missed <laughs> I jumped, missed the ball. But what happened was I hit my head on the rim, like really hard. And I came down, I was holding my head. And at that point, like about five guys just left the gym in a full sprint screaming. And I had really no idea what I had done because I wasn't familiar. And they said, you just hit your head on the rim. And I didn't really, I think, realize how impressive that was at the point at that time. And what I did over the next course of, of my career was just note take changes to my program, 
whether that was technical or training related, and then really just try to formulate my own philosophy of jump training as it relates to, to sport. Mm-hmm. So that was a bit of a tangent. That being said, um, it's a cool story. I mean, some yeah. people probably would never even know that professional dunking was a thing, right? Especially from the world of volleyball, you know, it's, it's, it's big. Um, it, it has a big following and it, and it really has in the past five years taken off and it's become a sport of its own. And they've been talking about it actually becoming at one point an Olympic sport, very similar to that, say, of figure skating, where it's given scores based on relative difficulty and all these different factors. So it's, yeah, it's, it's making, it has made waves and people have really pioneered that over time. And I was one of the early oncomers to that sport. So I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to travel a lot and meet a lot of probably the most impressive athletes that I've ever imagined seeing. So seeing them move and then talking with various coaches all over the world has really just reaffirmed my love for jumping. And it's when people ask me, what do you do as a, as a career? I say, well, I, I help people jump. And they said, you can't make, you can't make a career out of that. And I said, I made it a job to make a career out of it. So um, right. I'm very pleased at where that's went. So nice. we talked the takeoff and then we get into um, concept of, of optimizing arm swing through takeoff and the body stretch reflex as, as, as it uh, relates to the overall body. So basically stretch reflex referring to uh, the, the response of muscular contraction that the body has, which is if we violently lengthen a muscle, the body's natural reaction is to shorten that to preserve the health of the muscle. So we learn how to optimize that through a variety of training. And I'm sure you guys do a lot of this training as well. Um, but more importantly is how does that look under the watchful eye of, of the technique um, for jumping. Arm swing, one of the biggest things with volleyball is, especially in the, in the female side of things, because they, te- they tend to not be as naturally powerful as we get this big, lopy arm swing. We get really um, full range through anterior, posterior planes of this arm swing. And I think that there's not enough stock put into the effectiveness of, of maximizing that stretch reflex through that shoulder girdle, upper back, and then down into where that inserts into the abdomen. So we work a little bit on that arm swing mechanics as well, as well as implementing a little bit more power and speed and control through that arm swing. And sometimes that means shortening the arm swing a great deal from the front. So we're not creating this huge counter movement. We're just doing a bit of a shorter counter movement to speed up the um, basically the amortization of, of that movement through takeoff. The penultimate podcast is powered by Project Pure Athlete. Visit projectpureathlete.com and check out the complete line of PPA training and technique products. All products are created by the Jump Guy and have been used and endorsed by coaches and athletes worldwide. Jump higher, train smarter. So then we get into, I guess, the amortization element, which is basically how do we convert that horizontal speed through takeoff we amortize it we load the body with additional potential energy created on takeoff and we're always really looking for ways i think within training without even really realizing it of optimizing that that amortization of an athlete for me what i found to be most successful and i think if anybody can if you guys can take anything away from from this broadcast here in terms of jumping is when i get asked and i get it asked multiple times a day is how do i jump higher and it's such a painful question to see over and over again because people are expecting jump squats or some crazy ballistic power movement that is going to give them crazy results the best 
the quickest result I see is from implementation of just more dynamic stability through the joint. So the, the ability to translate power you already have, right. and you're unaware of that you actually have this. And that is why I've become a little bit more known for being able to take an athlete and increase their vertical jump within five or 10 minutes. And that is just using what they have more efficiently. Right. So we can sit there and try to pound athletes through a whole bunch of training and say, yeah, in, in six months from now, you definitely will jump higher. They will. But in the short term, showing them, and I think that's the aha moment they have, like, wow, technique is actually incredibly important that I can go, okay, you've touched 10 foot five off an approach. Let's back up. Let's take a look and, and break this down through video. Here are two points I want you to work on. All I want you to work on is, let's say, for instance, um, accelerating a little bit faster through your last two strides. So I want you to push into that last stride as opposed to slowing in. So that tells me their run-up is effectively uh, null. It doesn't do anything for them. So let's shorten your approach. Let's just accelerate through this takeoff. And all of a sudden they go, wow, holy crap, I'm a lot higher. And what we've done is we've taken away in their mind this massive approach that to them seems like the further I run, the higher I jump. And then we know that it doesn't really correlate that way. Yeah. I give a, an analogy to many of my athletes and the people I work with of a garden hose. And this is, I think, the most usable analogy for, for younger athletes is everybody knows what a garden hose is and what it does, right? We plug it into a water source inside of our home and we wait to see the water come out the other end of the hose. And that pressure of that water will be directly related to one, the flow coming in through the nozzle at the start. And then also two, how, um, stable that hose is from start to finish, meaning that there's no leaks, there's no holes, there's nothing in the hose. We have a steady stream of water. That pressure will be affected by leaks or holes in the hose. I equate that to an athlete. Your jump is effectively um, the joints in your body, the positions in your body that are leaking power or bleeding power are um, unstable, and that'll be the, ho the holes in the garden hose. So let's plug up as many of these holes as possible to increase efficacy of the actual jump from start to finish. And that garden hose analogy, and I, I refer to it a lot with my athletes through their, their training, is got to plug the holes. It's got to plug those holes. We got to plug one hole at a time, and eventually, overall, we, we improve our vertical jump. I love that because it's, you know, it's, it's exactly uh, ties right into kind of the assessment process we talked about earlier, which is like, let's identify um, limitations in either, you know, mobility, stability, mm -hmm. or flexibility, or, or, or even generally muscle activity. So let's, let's find those things and correct them. Absolutely. Because, you know, of course, if you've got limited ankle mobility, um, you're not going to have the the full benefit of that lever, right, to kick off your jump if you have right. a limited bad stability in your knees, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it's exactly those are the leaks um, that we both, it sounds like, really try to assess right off right off the bat, yeah. um, and and then uh, translate that into, of course, uh, an efficient and effective right. job. We say that um, speed and power is great. But speed and power is only as useful as our ability to express or control it. Mm -hmm. And that's where I run into that kind of um, barrier is I get these athletes in that are just, you know, they're so used to it's just we'll dump as much power and strength onto an athlete as possible. But that athlete, first of all, might not respond to that type of training very well. Secondly, they might really just be having trouble converting current power they have. And we can optimize that a lot just through creating new shapes and positions and then reaffirming those um, over time. Yep. 
Yeah, it's like, it's like putting a thousand horsepower engine in a car that wasn't made for it, right? It's just going to snap it in half all over the road and, and destroy it, right? So exactly. 100%. Then we get into, so this is the term that is got a lot more buzz through my through my social media platforms is the, the penultimate step. And I, I'm sure you've heard of this term before, but penultimate simply means second last. In any application of jumping, there is a penultimate stride. Um, in a one-foot jump it, it, and a two-foot jump, the responsibility is that this stride helps to, first and foremost, slightly lower the hips. And secondly, is establish that takeoff position and help carry the speed attained through the approach to the point of takeoff. So the penultimate becomes an extremely important focal point to pattern efficiently and be in the right position so that we can optimize that speed and spend as little time on the ground as possible. This is the, the re-education process, especially in the world of volleyball that I've had to start to take little bites out of is, I think the old adage was get, and we talked about this, get as low as you can to get as high as you can, right? Mm -hmm. Get low to get high. And to a degree for a certain types of athletes, that's going to work to a point. But what happens there is the lower we get, meaning the more time we spend in a, in a squat, squatting position, hinged position, the more potential energy we're bleeding. So we lose power every split second we spend in these positions. So first of all, how can we optimize that stretch shortening cycle and reflex of the muscle? And two, how can we put ourselves into what's called, I refer to as a stacked takeoff position to ensure that we leave the ground as quick as possible and uh, don't travel too far horizontally. Unless of course that is the, the goal, let's say from a, a spin serve or perhaps a back row hit that we do wanna cover some horizontal distance. Mm -hmm. So optimizing this penultimate step in volleyball, it becomes to what's called pushing through this stride versus galloping through the stride. And it's funny now, I think this is gonna be a perfect video that I can link over to a lot of my followership that I get these DMs all the time going, please tell me what that means or what, and it's tough because it's, you only have a little bit of a, a space to write that in. So mm -hmm. is pushing through this stride really becomes the, the hardest part for an athlete to attain. So we use uh, drills such as jab drills and, and two-step or the, the final two strides of the approach. And we pattern that as we press that foot forward. So as that athlete drives to their second last step. So if we have a right, left, right approach or a left, right, left approach, it's going to be either the, the right, left or the left, right, the last two strides. It's going to be the first of those two that set us up. And it's important for an athlete to understand that being forward as you drive into that step, which is a very common practice of most athletes, which is what I call diving into an approach, puts you in a very hyperflex position. Okay, so we have torso that falls forward. And what we have here is we have a hip girdle that now is out of alignment. So we lose this what's quote unquote stacked takeoff position. If we know anything about like mechanical loading, referred a little bit to like building a home, right? We put a two by four on its end for a reason that when you put a load on top of that, that that two by four doesn't just snap at a weak point. So we got to think about our body very similar to that of say a two by four. When we create our most powerful position, which is that takeoff position, if we're not stacked, relatively stacked, can't be perfectly stacked, but relatively stacked, then we're going to be bleeding power through these joints. So understanding that when we push into our penultimate stride, hanging back the shoulders over the hips a little bit more than diving is going to set us up to leave the ground quicker. So what we're doing is we're basically just mitigating the body's our need to what's called recover or unravel the torso which it will do naturally. We're mitigating the effect or the time it takes to do this 
by doing it a little bit earlier in our penultimate so that when we hit this stride, we're already creating power through that hip drive, but we're in a position where now we can leave the ground almost immediately. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a lot to ingest for, for someone that maybe doesn't have a little bit of that um, anatomical um, understanding, but the, the principles I put together try to explain that very well. Yeah, I think yeah, I think the timing is uh, is an interesting piece because you you know when I watch a lot of high level volleyball athletes, you definitely see that dive that you talk about, and we we um, I think we as coaches and, and trainers don't spend enough time just kind of deconstructing mm -hmm. every little part of that approach and hit to uh, to try to finely tune all the pieces involved, and uh, so that's that's super cool. I like that. For so long, the dive was really, I think it still is, it's used as a timing protocol for um, initiating your approach. So we have an athlete setting up, let's say, um, out of left side, and then we get the set and we have this athlete falling forward to a point where they can then accelerate. The problem then becomes is, yes, of course, it's great for creating forward momentum, but we need to get yourself taller earlier in that approach. So using that that fall to create speed and then getting yourself a little bit more back over those hips where then you can optimize the actual jump itself. Um, so it's, it's a good strategy in, in one um, side of it. And then at the other side, it's, it's providing a little bit of issue on takeoff. For sure. So it's just, it's just when to pull, when to start pulling out of it. Uh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I like that. Very exactly. Cool. And this is, this is very derivative of track and field. And that's, I have a lot of background in track and field and it's the jumping long jump, triple jump, high jump, even hurling to a point is largely based on our ability to um, optimize that, that mechanical loading. And especially with one foot takeoff is because one foot takes such a brunt of impact that if you're not in these positions, that's where you run into athletes blowing out knees and hips and backs is that they're overloading a, a chain of movement in a very um, poor position and then that will result in those surrounding tissues to be dramatically overworked very ballistically and then we have this kind of unraveling of, of, of function for sure That's awesome. uh, so you know there's there's a fair more now we get into so i talked a little bit about maximum control velocity before that's where we get into now so i'm going to kind of skim over that a little bit um, because we've touched on what that really means the last couple points to make are first and foremost is eye line and talking a little bit about what the eyes do in relation to the body in any sport and application of movement is that they really do set the tone for a jump mm -hmm. we understand that where we look is typically where the body's natural um, range of motion and, and uh, trajectory is going to head really a really good explanation of this is be watching an athlete do a box jump and typically you'll see based on fear normally is they'll stare directly at the point of landing. What this does is create right off the get go, an inability to create full hip extension through takeoff. And number two limits the height in which they can travel. So what they do is they end up jumping to their landing versus jumping and landing as a result of, of gravity pulling them down. And I think that when we drill these box jumps over and over and over again with that in mind, if they're staring at the box, what we're doing is we're drilling an athlete to be very used to limiting the, the expressiveness of, of hip extension. And then two is limiting the um, eye line in terms of how that relates to a game. So they're used to looking down. They're more often than not, when they take off, might look at the net or down in front of them without even realizing they're doing it. It could be really quick, but that could be a huge impact on trajectory of takeoff and then also where they impact the ball. Mm -hmm. um, so eye line, again, massively important. And the last is 
this is a practice that I think you can relate to as just a coach in general is mindset, 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 mindset is so important. And this is one thing when an athlete walks through the door with me and they begin training is the first thing we talk about aside from their assessment protocol is the, what I call the think to be mentality is, okay, guys, you're going to get jump. You're going to be jumping today. So it's very important that you start wrapping your mind around the concept of becoming more explosive and quicker that if you're not tapped in neurologically and then psychologically to this moment, then we're not going to pull as much of you that, that we can through our jump. So we think powerful to be powerful. We think strong to be strong, fast to be fast, bouncy to be bouncy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that becomes such a powerful tool for these athletes is can we empower them to believe they can jump higher when they might be, might've been told before that they just, they're not built for jumping. Mm -hmm. So being able to kind of milk that last little inch or two out of them can come down to just the cognitive application of, of mindset training. So I think that became very powerful for project pure athlete and working with, with my athletes and the ones around uh, globally as well is just why, like, why aren't you jumping higher? Is, is it a physical limitation or perhaps is this something that you've built up in your mind and that's stopping you from, from getting that last little bit um, over time? Mm -hmm. And I guess the last point I'm going to make is jump training is really just intelligent strength and conditioning with a bias toward the principles that com comprise jumping mm -hmm. and not to be looked at as doing on its own is that if you train for your sport, here are a few more variables to consider practice your positions and jump more often in mm -hmm. pra perfect practice yields more favorable positions. Yeah. It's kind of in a nutshell, you know, the principles of, of jump technique as they apply specifically to that two foot takeoff. But again, very, very, very similar to one foot takeoff. And even on landing, you talked a little bit about athletes landing on one leg or the other. I think at times that's unavoidable based on just momentum the same mechanics apply to one foot landing is we need to load the hip, not the knee and understand where the torso is in relation to the hip. So if an athlete is landing on one foot, as long as they're not dramatically overloading that, that knee joint and they're, that's why things it's very important to train unilaterally. And I'm very certain that you guys do a lot of that as well is, and I buy into a lot of the practices of Mike Boyle in the sense that I believe that unilateral trading over a broad scope is, is, is much more important than biasing bilateral training on its own. Like there, there has to be so much focus there. Well, I mean, it, you know, we will, we'll do both, but if you can, uh, of course, you know, from a, from a spinal health perspective, mm -hmm. and I know that's where Boyle takes, uh, you know, focuses um, is, you know, why, overload the spine if you don't have to um exactly. because in the game of volleyball specifically as, mm -hmm. as we all know the spine is overloaded in every position whether it's rotational extension flexion uh and compression so yep. if we hit it in the gym and just continue to do that um that's going to be a problem we do need to of course train the body to be able to stabilize in all positions uh, right. with, with an external load um so that when they land on two feet they're stable so there will be some but uh, but yeah no 100 uh, we're, we're we're all about minimizing um, damage, taking appropriate risks in training, which right. you know, we, we don't say, hey, you know, above all else, everything is super safe. So there, there's really no results. Uh, you know, we, we, we program to be, uh, to consider the health of the athlete, number one, obviously. Yep. Uh, and, and, and push their limits as appropriate. And, uh, and that's how you get the best results for sure. Beautiful, beautiful.
Yeah. It's like yeah. the, I actually have this tattooed on my leg. It's in Spanish and that's a whole other story, but um, sometimes we must slow down in order to speed up. And that is really just the, the overarching principle to, to my life, I guess, more so than even just training is, you know, if, if our goal is, you know, if we're in a race and there's a goal, there's two ways to approach it. One is we put our head down and sprint as fast as we can. And we hope that we end up at the finish line or two is every now and then we reorientate ourselves with where we're headed and gain some perspective on life. And I think that's what really will set apart those good from great athletes is in combination with really good coaching is are, are you, um, do you have perspective on your life and on your goals? 